your friend in the corner there, Kevy? No. Yes, Kevy Mental. What up, Playboy? How's it going? Thanks for listening to Barely About Music again. This is episode number 36, man, and my guest this week. It's a good one, dude. It's a very good one. It's my friend Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo is a jiu-jitsu champion, okay? He's a big part of the uh, UFC world. He owns his own jiu-jitsu school called Tenth Planet. Uh, it's very big. He's often on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, on a, a show called Fight Companion, uh, he has defeated Hoyler Gracie a couple times, who's a big, I mean, the Gracie family is the big jujitsu family. Um, and, uh, Eddie Bravo's tapped him a couple times. One of, one of those times was like a year or two ago. So really cool. But one thing that I, I wanted to have Eddie on because, uh, he's so passionate about music. I love that. He loves it. He loves it more than most, uh, most of my friends who all they do is play in a band professionally. Eddie likes it more. And he, his tastes are so eclectic. He's always showing me new stuff. It's really interesting. Uh, he's a drummer. I met him through my friend Danny Loner, who I'd love to get on the show, by the way. And uh, he's just a good dude and a good friend. I've been on his podcast a couple times. And uh, so I thought it would be a good episode. And I was right. It is. So, you know, let's, let's not fuck around. Let's just get to it. Without further ado, here is my friend Eddie Bravo. I was hoping you'd tell the story about the Kiss concert. It was Kiss concert, right? The picks, the picks went in your hair. Oh yeah, <laughs> 1989, Paul Stanley solo album, uh, not solo album, solo tour, and he, which he played a lot of the songs from a solo album from 1978 when Kiss released uh, four simultaneous solo albums. Right. In 1989, he decided to do like just a little. Uh, solo tour and they played in Orange County at the Celebrity Theater and it was I, I would say probably two, three thousand people showed up, something like that it was just Paul Stanley by himself Eric Singer was playing drums with them during that solo tour and uh, he actually ended up being in the band full time and it still is as Peter Chris. He he replaced Peter Ki- Chris in Kiss? No, 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 no um, <clears throat> this was a Paul Stanley solo tour okay he didn't take gene he didn't take bruce right Kulik at the time did they he, all do their own take, tours when they no. released those oh when they released solo albums in 78 yeah. none of them did solo tours okay they just what happened was back then in 78 peter had written beth or like a couple lines really mm-hmm. it was um bob ezrin mm-hmm. the producer yeah but, pink floyd and deftones and stuff yep yep and uh you know was, that's beth was like well orchestrated and Peter didn't know how to do any of that but <laughs> I think he wrote the the hook but <clears throat> that was Kiss's biggest hit ever uh-huh. that was the biggest one nothing ever came close wow and so you know he's got all his people telling him you're the fucking man you yeah know, yeah yeah you should write more songs and you should have more songs on the album and like Gene and Peter were like slow down dude <laughs> you know Bob as we wrote that shit <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he wanted to do a solo album and like leave the band. This is nineteen seventy. This is at, this is like when they were just super. There was like lunch, kiss lunch pails, and kiss ice cream, and kiss pencils. It was just so big and ridiculous that Peter was 
wanted to spread his wings yeah. and make a solo album. So Paul said, listen, why don't, fuck that, don't leave. Mm-hmm. Let's all do solo albums. Yeah. And then, you know, that way, you know, do your own album the way, the way you want. I'll do my album the way I want. It'll be cool. So Peter agreed. <clears throat> they all did solo albums. And Peter's album was the fucking worst. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so bad. And it was his idea. It was, yeah, it was, it, it was so bad. Why? It was, so, it was just, he's not a good songwriter. Is he a good singer? He's, he can barely play drums. And now, mind you, he was my favorite guy. I love Peter. Really? Chris. Yeah, but that's back when I didn't know, I didn't know. Why was he your favorite? What real musicianship was, you know what I mean? Because back then you had you had Rush coming out, you know what I mean? Yeah. No pert. And you're you know a drummer. I mean? Yeah. What's up? And you are a drummer. Yeah, but back then I wasn't, so okay. I really didn't know. So Kiss was my favorite band, so I had to have Kiss had to have the best uh, lead guitarist, and, and you know because my brother's favorite band was Van Halen, uh-huh. my friend across the street Eric's his favorite band was Rush. Right. So uh, you know. Dude, Rush's drummers like Neil Peart is still no one's ever ever played drums like Neil Peart on uh, songs that were that commercially successful. Yeah, there's, there's drummers out there that are better than him uh-huh. and have played on indie records that that uh, may, may have better drumming. But as far as global hits, like yeah. Tom Sawyer, dude, if you there's nothing even today today there's nothing huge. With that kind of musicianship, yeah, nothing. The bass playing, the drumming, the odd, the odd timing. Uh-huh. Nothing is like that. Nothing. Those those fills and Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Not nothing commercial will ever come close to that. That. So, that's what I had to compete against. You know, I had Peter Chris, right? <laughs> and then, um, as far as guitars guitars go, you know, Eddie Ed, Alex Liveson from uh, Rush was awesome, mm-hmm. and my brother had Eddie Van Halen. So yeah. it was Ace Freely versus Eddie Van Halen. So it's competitive on. in the Bravo yeah, I was household. Like, Fuck, I just wanted Peter Chris to be the best drummer. So anytime <laughs> he had like a little fill, like a little fill, like in it's like a shitty fill, but I, in my head it was an amazing fill. Look, he's yeah. hitting the toms. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. And there was some fills, like the fill in "I Was Made for Loving You," like the big fill in the in the middle part. Like it was like nothing. It's the first fill you learn in drums, and but it's like in your face and all the music drops out so i'm like so to me that was just like an amazing drum fill yeah. turns out it wasn't even him <laughs> they brought in a studio musician and you find the shit out later like fuck that that wasn't even peter and it wasn't shit anyways but it was like damn that's all we have <laughs> but back to oh and that, that peter chris solo album was so bad uh-huh. that uh, you got to remember in in 1980 kiss was is kiss was like uh, just as uh, powerful as an MC Hammer. They just died. Okay. They became a joke. Wow. By 1980, they became a complete joke. Peter already left the band. An ace was thinking about it. He's like, fuck, I don't know how long I'm going hang to on, hang on to this. It was dead. 1980 was dead. Wow. 1981, super dead for Kiss. Like uh-huh. You couldn't even tell people you liked Kiss. <laughs> I was the only one who held on to Kiss so people would make fun of me. Yeah. And like 10 and 11 people making fun of me for liking Kiss. So I had to get to the point where I had to just say, okay, I don't like him no more. Mm-hmm. I don't like him no more. But I did. I had all my record collection. I yeah. don't like him no more. And everyone's like, you fucking liar. You're like, I don't like him anymore. Okay? They suck now. You're right. They suck. And my brother was like, shit, you fucking like him. So... In front of all my friends, he made me prove. He goes, dude, you fucking like him. I catch you listening to him. Like, Fuck, don't bust me out of my brother. My brother was busting me out in front of all my friends. He goes, if you don't like Kiss, 
let me break a re- kiss record. <gasps> kiss records. And I was like, Ugh. no way. And he goes, let me break a record. And I'm like, fuck. I go, okay, just one though. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and it was fucking Peter Chris. I let him take it. The Peter Chris. Oh, he let you pick it? He knew. He knew it though. He already knew I thought it sucked. So I don't remember if he broke it or scratched it. It was like he, he took a key and scratched it or he actually broke it. I, I forget. But it's so mean. I, I, I do remember that was the Kiss album that I gave him. Wow. And he could have easily said, dude, you hate this album. Give me give me a good one. Yeah. And uh, But he didn't. So he had he kind of had my back. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was like he was fucking, he was humiliating me. But uh, he knew that uh, I didn't give a fuck about that album. It yeah, was, yeah. It he let you off easy. So back to Paul Stanley's solo album, or he had the best solo album. A lot of people think Ace Frehley's solo album was the best, but I don't. Uh-huh. It was definitely like the hardest, but yeah. Paul Stanley had the best vocal hooks, in my opinion. There's so many songs on there with, it just, to me, to me, that Paul Stanley solo album was probably the best Kiss album, period, for me. Really? It was just the best. There's so many amazing songs on that album, and not like, uh, like teeny bop cheesy. They're like, there were some good solid deep rock songs on there yeah tonight you belong to me take me away ain't quite right goodbye there's so many it just goes on and on um wouldn't you like to know me there's so many good songs love and chains so many good songs but uh he they never went on tour when they released those solo albums but 10 years later in 1989 kiss had a little break after the crazy nights tour Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul just said, I, I'm going to take, you know, like six, eight months and play a bunch of dates. And <clears throat> this was in Orange County again at the Celebrity Theater. And I'm right there in the front. I'm like, I couldn't fucking believe him. Right there. My hair's like down to my waist. Mm-hmm. Super goddamn long. Mm-hmm. Down to my waist. And I'm right in front of Paul Stanley. And he had a boom stand with a duck, a, piece, a long strip of duct tape with a bunch of picks. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly just throwing picks into the audience and grabbing uh, a pick from the duct tape. He had like 10 picks. And the duct tape that was falling off the mic, the, stand. the mic stand. Yeah. And he fucking grabbed the whole thing and just threw the whole thing in the audience and everybody went after because there was no seats. Yeah. It was like in the front, it was like a pit. Yeah. And everyone's just standing there. <clears throat> and people were I was on the ground, everyone was rolling. It's like rug a rugby game fighting for it. And nobody could find it. And we're all looking around. And then some dude looks at me and goes, dude, it's in your head. And I had a, a strip of duct tape in my hair with all the picks. I'm like, oh, shit. So I just ran. I bolted to the bathroom. And I'm like, I'm imagine a strip of duct tape on your hair. Yeah. You know how impossible it is to get that shit out? Yeah. But I couldn't get it out without ripping out my hair. And the Paul Stanley's going on. And I'm like, I'm going to miss the show. I got all these picks. Oh, it was the middle of the show. So I just fucking rip the thing off I had Whoa. no choice dude wow. to rip the fucking thing so I had all this hair missing a big <laughs> piece of hair but I kept that strip of duct tape uh, for years I, I, I'm sure I still have it somewhere because I've moved several times but yeah and it still has my hair in it and I still use those I still have a couple of those picks can you use them yeah wow yeah, yeah. I still have them they have to say Paul Stanley on them and everything. that's so it's, cool yeah so do you remember when you cut your hair? What was the decision? Because that's a lo- it's a lot of work growing your hair out that oh, long. Oh man, that was that's a that was a crazy decision. <laughs> I still haven't made it. Well, um, metal, as we knew it from the eighties, died like right in ninety two, right when Nirvana took over. Nirvana killed the pussy. That's right, they did it. So. 
all my friends started cutting their hair and I refused to. Mm-hmm. You know, we I went from going into clubs, like you know those from 88 to 92 was insane. If you had long hair, you went from being a loser, a total loser outcast throughout uh-huh. the 80s, except for metal chicks. Metal chicks like, you know, there was there was a lot of metal chicks. Motley Crue was big, uh-huh. Poison was big. But the only girls that would date a long-haired dude were chicks from the metal scene. Right. Regular chicks still still didn't. No matter how big Motley Crue was, mm-hmm. regular chicks were into Duran Duran and shit like that. Right. And R&B chicks, they wouldn't date like metal dudes. But in 1988, when Guns N' Roses exploded, uh-huh. that's when... It got crazy. Yeah. It was 88. Because metal was big in 83, 84, 85, 86, 87. But when Guns N' Roses came around, that made it a super mainstream. And at that point, every chick wanted to date a long-haired dude. Yeah. For four years. It was like that. R- I was dating R&B chicks. I had <laughs> no idea who Iron Maiden was. Just cleaning I was, up. I was so used to only dating metal chicks. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, it was crazy. Uh, it takes seven, eight years nine years to grow your hair out yeah you know so i had no competition the guys that had long hair the losers uh-huh. the losers who everyone spit on who had longer all of a sudden became rock stars you didn't even have to be in a band wow. you just had that long hair and going to clubs back then was i always went to the clubs by myself because i knew i was gonna get something yeah yeah i knew it i was gonna have my choice it right. was insane wow. it was insanity and that was, was in like, la it was in L.A., uh-huh. in Orange County. Yeah. It was like, uh, it really was like I was a rock star, and I, I wasn't even a rock star. Just the fact that I had long hair to my waist. Yeah. But slowly, when it died, uh-huh. started going to clubs, and the girls started disappearing. Oh. They weren't around no more. <laughs> and it was always the same guys at the clubs. There wasn't that much competition. Yeah. And so we would we would be walking through the club, checking out chicks, high-fiving each other. <laughs> you know, how you doing? Like, good, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I got one by the bathroom, and yeah. there's a couple others over there I'm thinking about. It was pretty insane. Yeah. But that wasn't happening. Okay. It's everything started to change. Clear out. The girls started drying up. Even the chicks that were into metal, they just have no more metal. You know, they were getting into grunge wow. and like industrial kind of yeah. looking. Yeah, goth, yeah. Like not really goth, but more industrial uh-huh. and, and more mainstream. They were going back to hip hop and stuff. Yeah. And um, wow. So, you know, night after night, going to clubs and like. Coming up empty-handed, <laughs> yeah. things were changing, <laughs> and I loved the grunge scene. Mm-hmm. I was—I didn't like the hair metal scene. Mm. You know, I was like—I was—I was, I was um, into Slayer and Metallica. You and liked heavy shit. You liked but, the most satanic stuff. I remember yes, you said yes, yeah. but I appreciated the fact that. You know, the girls didn't have to know that. I said, "Yeah, I'm into I'm into Guns and Roses and Poison <laughs> and stuff like that," because I was I was happy about. Uh, the fact that it was easy to get girls with long hair because uh-huh. of the 80s hair metal, uh-huh. but I wasn't really into 80s hair metal. I was like, I would talk shit on it. Yeah. So when I heard Alice in Chains, I go, this is my shit. Like, yeah, yeah. I've, I got into Alice in Chains. I was balls deep into that shit. Like, like facelift or dirt? Both. Yeah. Like when I, uh, Man in Box crushed me. Oh, yeah. And then Bleed the Freak and all that shit yeah. on that album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Die Young mm-hmm. uh, Sunshine So many good That album's so that good band. Sunshine The choruses Sunshine's probably One of the best choruses In, in my opinion yeah. Ever Yeah uh, And so I love that I go I love this new shit But I didn't know It was killing them, my pussy <laughs> I loved it But it was fucking me up uh-huh. So all my friends Started cutting their hair And I refused To cut my hair And and I held I held on Until 1997 
Really? I held on till 1997. Whoa. Everybody was cutting it in 92, 93. Yeah. And, um, you outlasted Metallica. But the only reason I kept it was um, in 93, I got a job at a strip club. Okay. So mm-hmm. anybody that works at a strip club get can get laid. You yeah. Know, it's yeah, easy. Yeah. So if I didn't work at the strip club and I had to solely rely on going out to regular clubs, mm-hmm. I probably would have cut it a long time ago. But... The fact that I was working at a strip club, mm-hmm. I'm like, I was still getting pussy, so I didn't have to cut my hair. Uh, but it was only like the metal chicks, like only the metal chicks that worked there. Yeah. Like I, and um, I DJed, so you'd find out real quick a new girl would come into the club and you just go through her CDs. Oh, and if, okay. she has, if she has a bunch of metal CDs, like, oh, I have a chance. <laughs> but if you go through her CDs and a bunch of hip hop and R&B, I'm like, yeah. no way. It doesn't work that way. But you like that stuff now. Just not at the time. Hip hop and R and B. No, no, I've always loved hip hop. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about when it comes to girl, girls. Girls okay. who love hip hop mm-hmm. don't love long hair dudes. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? That's all. That's all. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't fuck this chick. Yeah. she's not into metal. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I had long hair. Wow. The only chick who's gonna fuck with me is a metal chick. Okay. So anytime a chick would come in and she would have like uh, Poison CDs or Motley Crue CDs, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna work on this one. That must have been pretty common during that time, right? Uh, one chick. Maybe two chicks per shift were metal chicks. Not okay. that many. Most was, strippers weren't metal chicks. Was this in Orange County still? This was in L.A. Okay. This was in L.A. So because I worked at a strip club, uh-huh. I didn't. I wasn't that desperate. I was still getting laid. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to a regular club and get laid. That was hard. <laughs> that was hard. That was really hard. Uh, but uh, I was at a. I was at a strip club, you know, four nights a week. So mm-hmm. um, that's the only reason I held on till '97, and uh, when I finally cut it. All my friends cut their hair. I was the last of the Mohicans. I was at, I went to a club. Someone invited me to a club, and I was reluctant. I'm like, I'm not going to get any pussy. Why the fuck am I going to, you know, and it takes 30 minutes to blow dry my hair out. And all oh, it's so much work. So I, a lot of work. Yep. And then I'm at the club, and it's, no, you know, I'm like a leper yep. at the club, mm-hmm. and it's 1997, mm-hmm. and then I went into the bathroom, and I looked at myself. My hair's down on my waist, and I had all this, I'm like... I look like shit. <laughs> so I decided the next morning I'm just going to cut my fucking hair off. So really? Next morning woke up, went to the barber, and I didn't want to cut it all off, so I just cut it to my shoulders. Yeah. And at the, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to totally commit to short hair. So at the barbers it looked cool, mm-hmm. but when I got home I looked in the mirror, and the, the second I looked in the mirror I'm like, oh my God, I look like a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought I looked so, like, like just a pansy ass you know yeah so i went directly to the nearest barbershop and just had him cut it all off wow yeah and then all of a sudden at the strip club everything changed really everything changed it became fucking crazy really girls were like all you had to do was cut your hair i would have never dated whoa so what i did was you know i was so used to uh having like hair that stood out mm-hmm. and then one of my friends said all you gotta do is just fucking put some gel in it and spike it up mm-hmm. you know like new metal-ish like, yeah yeah you know like I mean? Tommy Lee in 98 yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. yeah. so that's what I did that was my new look was mm-hmm. I had short hair but I, it would be spiky it would take me like 20 minutes to spike everything out with yeah like yeah some, this uh, thick American crew uh, pomade type shit uh-huh. and um, and then I got more pussy than ever before I'm like oh my god I should have cut this shit <laughs> The hair, my long hair was keeping pussy away from me. Wow. So then at that point at the strip club, it mm-hmm. just, it was game on. It was game changer. Yeah. It, it was crazy. And were you playing in, in bands at the time too? Um, 
Well, when I cut my hair, that was right when the guy I moved to Hollywood with, James Watson, mm-hmm. um, we played in speed metal bands in my teens in Orange County. And then when we, we moved to Hollywood together and uh, we left the speed metal behind and that's when we started doing hip hop. This was like 1991. Mm-hmm. We we're doing like industrial metal, gothic, electronic hip hop. Uh, it's called Black and Kill Symphony. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that from 91 to uh, 97. That's when he got cancer. Oh my goodness. And that's when I cut my hair. The wow. same year he got cancer, I cut my hair. Uh, he's still alive. He beat it. Wow. Yeah, he beat it. He beat it. What kind of cancer was it? Leukemia. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, lymphomic. It was, dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. He had brain hemorrhaging. He had, it was, oh my it was God. really, really bad. Like, it was, I can't believe he made it, you know? And he's still alive today. Wow. He's still my best friend. And, um, you know, we still talk all the time. And, and he he goes out to my, my jujitsu shows and yep. my comedy shows and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, when he got cancer, that's when the, the, that was when the band stopped. That's when I, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to go solo and just make music on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, I started smoking weed. All the heaviness and the darkness went away. Started playing acoustic guitar and uh, writing music with girls. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, I, the weed made me... Um, like relax a little bit? Uh, regurgitate all the the sadness that I kept inside. Oh. Every song was like a sad song. Every song was like The Cure. Every yeah. song was Depression Mode. Mm-hmm. When we were we were doing some dark industrial ministry rap, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And all of a sudden everything's like, I just wanted to do ballad after ballad after really? ballad, you know, and then after um, a few years of that, messing around with a chick and mm-hmm. trying to put, you know, trying to do like a Paul Oakenfold type thing where mm-hmm. I'm like by myself doing electronic stuff. Um, then once I got all that out of my system, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and do the rap thing right. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up finding uh, uh, Compella, Eric Cruz. He's one of my students. Mm-hmm. We started making music together and uh, we formed Smoke Serpent. Right. And uh, we've been doing that ever since. So I, I never stop making music. I make, I'm always making music. I'm just, I'm just not, you know, I'm not... Uh, actively trying to get signed or get in the music industry. I just make one song at a time, uh-huh. put it out for free, yep. and then make another song, put it out for free, make a music video for it, mm-hmm. uh, usually out of a movie, one mm-hmm. of my favorite movies, yep. and um, off to the next song, boom. you know. That's so cool, man. Yeah. So um, when you started the industrial rap metal band, were, in your mind were you kind of like, the, these styles should be combined and they haven't at this point and so we're going to do that well I was at that time when I decided to mix all that I was uh, in a speed metal band with James I was playing drums and mm-hmm. he was playing guitar Yeah, and he's a black guy mm-hmm. so when you're a black guy in the metal scene it's rare that's so, the coolest shit ever it's rare so um, it's generally just all white, you know, and, yep. um, you know, Mexicans too and Latins, but mm-hmm. not the, most black people are into uh, hip hop and R&B and stuff generally, mm-hmm. in general terms. There's always, a, there's always exceptions, obviously, but mm-hmm. when you're black and you're into metal, you better be an encyclopedia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So he was. He yeah. knew everything about rock, metal, the history of rock, 
um, 70s rock. Mm -hmm. um, so when we talked, he didn't want to talk about anything else, like hip-hop or anything. He just wanted to prove mm -hmm. that he was worthy. Yeah, yeah. And he knew, you know, uh, he, he, it's like, you know, if, if you have short hair, mm -hmm. And you want to be in a band? Mm -hmm. Damn, you better be. You better have a van or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> you better have a PA or something, yeah. or like a rehearsal spot for free. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because back then you had to have long hair. Yeah, and you had to. You know, there was there wasn't that many black people in metal. Yeah. So, um, it was like living color. Yeah, yeah. So when I was sixteen, I was. I was uh, sick of the band I was in. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a bunch of just my best friends, and they were, I didn't think they were serious, uh, as serious as I as I wanted them to be, yep. or as I felt uh, they needed to be. So uh, I, I thought, you know what, I gotta find some serious musicians. These guys just ain't keeping up with me. Yeah. Not like that. I was like technically any good, but uh, I was motivated to uh, work. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and. So I put there was a uh, there was an ad in the recycler back then. There was no internet. This was 1986. So when you when you were looking for a musician or you wanted to put an ad looking for musicians, it was through the recycler. It was like a, a news publication that came out every week, mm -hmm. and it, you know you you bought and sold cars there and bikes and furniture and everything. It was like a Craigslist, but uh, uh, yeah, on paper. That's where and Nikki Six found Mick Mars. Is that the recycler? Yeah, yeah it's very common. Recycler yeah. girls that were looking for dudes in bands would would go to the musicians wanted. Oh, really? Yeah, that happened to me a few times. Wow. Yeah. So, because I knew that you know they're probably have, if they're saying they're looking for a guitar player with long hair, that dude probably has long hair. So that then they call. Man. And so, uh, um, I saw an ad and it said uh, I was looking for a guitar player because I was playing drums. It said guitar player into Slayer, Razor, and Destruction. Mm -hmm. And I thought, holy shit, Razor's from Canada. Yeah. And um, I thought, holy shit, this guy sounds awesome. So I called him up. He sounded fucking great. He knew everything about all the shit I was into. Creator, yeah. Sodom, uh -huh. the German thrash. I was like, fuck yeah. So he's like, he said he's from Arkansas. He just got into town. He's, he's here. He's committed to making it in the music business. Just came out by himself to make it. So he was, was renting a room in a house that had five rooms and the guy who owned the house would would rent each room out so it was kind of like it was a bunch like five roommates yeah yeah and uh, he said during the day there's nobody here so uh, bring your drums over and we'll jam during the day so i did and i i borrowed my uncle's truck put my drums in the back of his truck drove to james house when i knocked on the door he opened the door I'm like it's a black dude <laughs> I'm like, man, I mean, it's very important to have like a metal look and long hair yeah. and look like, you know, uh, Metallica or Slayer. Yeah, you yeah. Know I mean, Death Angel. He yeah. had to have long hair and yeah. look the part. And here's a black guy with like a little jerry curl. Yeah. And immediately I thought, fuck, man, this guy visually is not going to work yeah. for what I'm what I'm thinking. Uh -huh. But I didn't want to tell him that. Yeah. So I just unloaded my drums. I'm like, you know what? I've got to jam. I don't, mm -hmm. don't want to fucking hurt this guy's feelings. Yeah, you know? yeah. I felt like, fuck, it just... It's too hard. Like, yeah, we gotta have the look. You gotta have a yeah. look. Yeah. So I set up my drums and we started playing. And every fucking song, I said, "Do you know this song by Corrosion of Conformity?" He was just like, he would just hum it in his head, and then he would be able to play it. And I was playing drums like that's my, the guys I was jamming with, my best friends. They couldn't do none of that shit. Yeah. So we were just 
I would call out songs and he would play it. He had he has an amazing ear. He could just play any song and he knew the songs. I'm like, oh shit. And then I remember going, if I asked him if he knew the middle part to the pestilence by creator. Yeah. It's like yeah. And uh, he fucking figured it out right in, in, in his head and didn't. I go, if he figure, he's trying to figure it out. And I go, if he figures this fucking out, he's in my band. If he figures <laughs> this motherfucker out. And he did. I'm like, oh, shit, I love this guy. And yeah. I, then all of a sudden, it, it, my my views on, on him being black was, I mean, I'm not racist or anything. I was just a metal dude. And, mm-hmm. was, you know, you had to have, an, if you had short hair, that would be a problem. If yeah. you were a white guy with short hair, yeah. or you were bald, yeah. fucking problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but it went really quick from fuck this guy ain't gonna work out to oh my god this guy's gonna make us stand out yeah we're gonna have this badass black dude in the fucking band he's yeah. gonna make a stand so I it I turned it into a positive in my head I spun mm. it really quick and we just became best friends like that day wow he was my best friend still my best friend that's so cool um, yeah yeah so what ended up happening was we formed a speed metal band called Resistance. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, we were just like burnt out on speed metal. You mm-hmm. know, as a drummer, just playing the same fucking faster. It's like, yeah. you only can do it for so goddamn long. Yeah. So, um, I was getting kind of burnt out. And then I, and I think, I think it was 87, either 87 or 88. I forget the year, but I heard, uh, Anthrax do bring the noise. They did a collaboration with public enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Chuck D, yeah, and I heard that shit, and it was like shun 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 shun, yeah, and it's like Chuck D rap, and I'm like, oh my god, this is what we're gonna do, <laughs> yeah, because I've um, I always was fascinated with hip hop uh-huh. because uh, lyrically, there's uh no uh, they're not handcuffed, like, yeah. In rock, you got to be poetic, totally. You got to be vague. I said that before. You can't be funny. You can't be literal. You can't be vo- like yeah. super vo- you, you had, yeah, you can't be. It's got to be poetic. You can't you mention know? like tic tacs in hip hop. You can mention yeah. name brands. So I love yeah. that. Yeah, I love the fact that lyrically, because mm. I was writing lyrics in the speed. Metal. I was me and James are both writing lyrics. We both wrote the music. Even though I played the drums, I was writing guitar riffs and everything. Mm. The other reason I play drums is because it's so hard to find a drummer. I'm like, fuck, I'll just play drums. Yeah, I never really wanted to play. It's just there was no other drummer. I'm like, you, okay, I'll. You, fucking do it I was like the director of the band I'm yeah, yeah. drums and I'd get from behind the drums and I'd show the guitar like James i go this is how you play it yeah. Yeah. you got it and then i get behind the drums and go you know so I never really wanted to play drums I hated lugging the drums around to gigs and you gotta baby you know you gotta babysit them after the gig everyone's having fun after a gig you know especially the lead vocalist where he didn't even use his mic (laughs) but I gotta babysit my drums I didn't want make sure people didn't steal my cymbal stands or Uh, anything like that so it sucked being a drummer yeah Um, and um, and then I thought after listening to Anthrax and uh, Public Enemy. Enemy I'm like there needs to be a fucking whole band like this I go this is I mean so I knew right there I'm like uh, I like to run DMC because Run DMC had like an ACDC kind of rap vibe and all yeah. that. But I was playing speed metal, so the ACDC thing didn't really uh, impress me. Although I thought, okay, Run DMC got some rock shit. Okay, I, I could I could listen to this. Yeah. I just I just wasn't a funk guy. I yeah. wasn't a George Clinton guy. I wasn't mm-hmm. into that. I, I was into Judas Priest and shit. Mm-hmm. Kiss. Um, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Slayer. I got that's where I was going. I was getting darker and heavier. And so hip hop was. Uh, sampling from music that I just wasn't into, but I like the lyrics. Mm-hmm. I like 
uh, the possibilities with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thought right there, I go, you know what? I'm going to make some hip hop with music I like. Yeah. So that's where Black and Kill Symphony came from. So we started, me and James started doing shit on the side. And I never knew he was a rap encyclopedia and an wow. R&B encyclopedia. He just didn't want to talk well. about it. He didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. So once I found that, I go, wait a minute. <laughs> You know everything about rap, too? I go, dude, let's do... So I, I'll never forget telling him, I go, dude, let's do a rap project where you rap. Uh-huh. Forget about guitar. You're just going to rap, and I'm not going to play drums anymore. I'll just be like the fucking DJ mixer music dude. Uh-huh. Just be us, too. Yeah. And uh, we'll fucking... It'll be like... We'll do like Nine Inch Nails and like Metallica yeah. and rap. And I, and I remember him going, yeah, yeah, it sounds like uh, 900 Foot Jesus. Yeah, let's do that. You, you ever heard of that band 900? I know the Jesus? name. I don't know what they sound like. I don't know what they sound like either. Just, <laughs> but he said that. He goes, he referenced 900 foot Jesus. Okay. He goes, dude, we'll be like 900 foot Jesus. I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And um, then we just started messing with that on the side. And the guys in the speed metal band were getting kind of worried that because we were like made a little rap demo. Yeah. It was horrible. Our first attempt was horrible. Uh, but we were still doing it. And yeah. They were, and they thought we were like all excited about it. So to, to calm them down on the demo, the the first the first um, name that we came up with before Black and Kill Symphony, which is ridiculous. But the, the name before that was Brave Watts because my last name's Bravo and his last name's Watson. Yeah. So I just thought Brave Watts. Yeah. It was like the dumbest shit. <laughs> but um, uh, we put. Uh, and, and I had a little Tascam 4 track, little, and so I was just like, you know, mm-hmm. the engineer. It was horrible. Got a little rolling drum machine. This is like 1989 at this point. Mm-hmm. And on the demo tape, uh, we put the band, the speed metal band was called Resistance. So we put uh, the logo, a Resistance production. Okay. So that when they saw the demo, part of the same we're universe, like, Dude, yeah. yeah, it's still you guys are part of it. Bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be excited for for but this. But then we just then I just you know we decided you know what fuck Orange County, let's do this right. Let's move to Hollywood uh-huh. and fucking go for it a hundred percent. Yeah. And by the time we did that, sold my drums and all that, um, started playing guitar full time. So I, and then we made a demo tape in Hollywood, started shopping it real quick. Uh, and the plan was, it's just, you know, you go, go to Guitar Center and you get those books with all the addresses to the record companies. Okay, yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. I could buy them. Yeah. So all I did was send like 10 to each address, just to flood <laughs> each address. And the plan was to send out all these demo tapes where it was just me and James. James did all the rapping and I did all the music. And, um, and at the same time, start putting together a band yeah. to play live. Uh-huh. But we got a response before we had a chance to put together a band. Like right away, Rachel Matthews, who uh, she was probably still in the record business. Uh-huh. Um, J- uh, Danny knows of her. Okay. Um, she was the head of Hollywood Basic, which was a Disney yeah. label. And, They're still uh, around, man. Are they still around? Yeah, Hollywood my friend Basic Sean is Hook is signed to Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, Hollywood Basic? I don't know if it's Hollywood Basic. It was called Hollywood Basic back okay. then. And uh, it was Rachel Matthews and Steve Jones. Okay. He was her, like her assistant. Okay. And she calls me up and says, we got your demo tape. We really want to hear it. It's crazy. It's like, you guys are doing crazy stuff. Yeah. When's your next gig? And I said, uh, <laughs> let me call you back on that real quick. I'm not sure, but we'll probably play the Roxy or something. Because yeah. it's really easy to book a gig. You just buy tickets. Yeah. So I called all my old friends. Like I said, dude, we got Hollywood basic and they come check us out. Let's put together a band and rehearse. So we did that. We put together a band like real quick, just Frankenstein to band. Yeah. And, uh, we had like a month to get ready 
and told Rachel Matthews we're going to be at the Roxy. And we were so, I'll never forget being that nervous. I was so nervous. I had the runs. I'm backstage. And I couldn't <laughs> stop shitting. And I was so nervous. And at that point, man, we had a drummer that was playing with a click track with, because we had like samples coming out of, we had a four track Tascam mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm. Track one was a click track. Track two, three, and four had like different samples of weird shit. That's so, how my band still does it. Crazy. With an SPDSX trigger. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then out of the task and it goes right into the board. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of problems with that. Mm-hmm. Um, all the, uh, the drummer we had is, is a, was an amazing drummer, graduated from MI, just super like tool type drummer. And um, we, we sounded like garbage during the middle of the first song. We see Rachel and Steve get up and walk the fuck out. Oh. Dude, our key, we even Crushing. had keyboards. Our keyboard is from Orange County took a limo with we had girls in a limo to the gig because he's just like dude we're getting signed oh, oh <laughs> and they walked out you know we, we, just, we just sounded like garbage we weren't ready we weren't, oh. we weren't ready but uh, thank god you know so after that that was your first ever show were you able to recover the morale to continue that wasn't the first ever show we of planned, that project though of that project yes. yeah yeah that was the first show of that project, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we kept playing, and we went through different members. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was coming from speed metal and then trying to do some metal hip hop industrial hybrid. Thing, yeah, uh, we it was um, you know the whole selling out thing, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, you know I knew we were gonna have to deal with that from people like oh you guys sold out, you guys are pussies. So we didn't go. We didn't go um, speed metal because when the speed metal band resistance, our average song was about eight minutes. We had ten minute songs, you know, fucking wow. nineteen parts, and it was just so much <laughs> shit. Like Metallica, yeah, it's like you know, it's Slayer. Slayer, if they wrote songs like as long as Metallica, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? like in the Master of Puppets and yeah. long songs, yeah, and we're all long songs because proggy mu- musically, technically, we sucked. So I thought I'd disguise. Because to me, it was just I was a composer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a dude who was going to practice scales or practice. I just played enough, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to put songs together. I wasn't trying to get really good. Yeah, I was yeah. just putting shit together. I was the one engineering the music. Mm-hmm. I was the one getting the gigs. I'm yeah. the one putting the flyers together. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like producing um, I, I the wasn't, whole thing. I wasn't sitting there practicing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I knew that. And uh, so... I disguised that with long ass complicated songs. People are just like, what are they fucking doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> they didn't have time to. Like no repeating out. parts and stuff like that? No, no, no. We had repeating parts, mm-hmm. but just so, there was just a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Just a lot of shit. Sloppy as fuck. <laughs> um, even J- James had a, an, a tremendous ear, uh-huh. but we were always writing stuff that we couldn't play. Yeah. That we could barely play. <laughs> like the best thing for us was to slow down. You know what I mean? Just yeah. stick to what you can play uh, effortless, effortlessly. Yeah. But um, um, I suck technically as a drummer, but I hit so hard and I had a fan under me. My hair's flying everywhere and I, I would slam shit. If you didn't, if you weren't a musician, you thought I was awesome. Like people would come up and go, "Dude, what are you doing playing with these guys? You could be playing with Ozzy." I'm like, "I'm actually no, I couldn't." But, but I, I fooled them. It's like you just, you're just not a musician. You just don't know that yeah, yeah. I'm just hitting really hard. I'm not doing anything special. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like real drummers knew I, I was just, I wasn't shit. But uh, but you did fills and I, stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, dude, I overdid fills. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? I played Phil so much, people thought I was fucking Neil Peart. <laughs> was but your kid as big as Neil Peart's? I had a 10-piece swing star, bottom-of-the-line Tama. Okay. That was like uh, the poor man, the Mexican's Tama <laughs> swing star. Yeah. That was the cheap one. I had a 10-piece, though, and it was a, a mist, uh, what was it called? Misty Crobe. Okay. But, um, yeah, we kept, um, we kept, so my point was, when we went to the rap metal industrial uh, project, we didn't go right to three minute songs. We, we, we slowed down, we killed all the speed metal, but the songs were still eight <laughs> minutes, nine minutes, long rap songs. Long, wow. We had a 10 minute song. They were still long and had all these parts, a lot of odd meter shit. Yeah, so yeah. we wouldn't let go. We didn't <laughs> the want The technical it, parts. Because if we would have went from speed metal to what Linkin Park was doing, like yeah. two minute, 45 second songs, yeah. three minute, 10 seconds. Yeah. Two minutes, 58 seconds. Yeah. If we went, went right to that, we were to complete sellouts. Yeah. So we, it was a slow process. So, so it was a conscious decision to not have short songs now. Yeah. So, so, um, we got a manager mm-hmm. and what's crazy is this manager, he also managed another, he was a, a guy who come into the strip club. So I'm working at the strip club. We have black and kill symphony. We got our demos. We're getting better. We're beyond that opening yeah. a gig. We're tight as we're pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting our shit together. We got our second demo, then our third demo. Um, we get a manager dude, who always comes into the strip club. He uh, was a fireman okay. who uh, on the side was uh, had music, music connections and, and try to manage bands. And he had this other hip-hop band, rock hip-hop band. This was 1993, okay. 94. Mm-hmm. He had another band. And back then, really, the only thing that was out that was legit hip hop rock was like Rage Against the Machine. Okay. That's really the when only first record band. came out. Yeah. Uh, but they were more like uh, Led Zeppelin doing hip hop. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. We were more like uh, Nine Inch Nails doing hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know? So they sounded exactly like Rage Against the Machine. They were called Frontside. So our manager managed Frontside, mm-hmm. the Rage Against the Machine band. I mean, there was other, I mean, like, People say Faith No More's rap. I'm like, not really. Mm-hmm. Mike Patton was like kind of rapping every now and then, mm-hmm. but no one considers him an MC. Exactly. So like, you can't say, or like, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, yeah. They're hip hop influenced. Anthony Kiedis, yeah. yeah. He's not a rapper. Like yeah. dudes aren't going, he's one of my favorite rappers. Yeah. Although some songs he clearly does rap, but mm-hmm. I mean, you can't really count them. Uh, but Rage Against the Machine, you could count. He was, yeah. Zach De La Rocha was definitely rapping. Mm-hmm. Uh, musically, they did nothing uh, synthetic, nothing electronic. It was all acoustic, which was Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. We were the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. My drummer played an electronic kit mm-hmm. and an acoustic kit. We'd switch it all up. We had a lot of keyboards, a lot of synth, yeah. uh, clean guitar, heavy guitar. Yeah. Um, so, um, so we played a couple gigs together. And we, the, our manager set gigs up. We played at the whiskey with corn. Um, back when corn was no way. Back when they were. Oh no! Wait! 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 Because no, they're. No, not, no, I'm sorry. Not not. Um, we played with so many goddamn bands. We played in Bakersfield, and that's where they were from. Yep. Um, what's the other fucking uh, Incubus? We oh wow! Incubus, crazy. Back back. This was 1993. Yeah, and um, they had that record "Fungus Among Us" that came out around that time. Yeah, they were very primacy. Very we played with more. we played with um, Sacred Reich, wow. um, Laws Rocket. Yeah, um, bands that were signed. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we was like we were opening for them. We mm-hmm. weren't shit. Um, it didn't. It didn't. 
and plus our manager had the connection. So yeah. we kind of, it was weird is that band um, front side, the Rage Against the Machine band, we never communicated. Really? Yeah, we were just like, hey, we were like, we hated on them. We're like, ah, they're fucking like Rage Against the Machine ripoff. And they're looking at us going, we don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> they're trying to mix all that shit in. You know what I mean? What yeah. are they doing? So their singer, their singer looked like, uh, he's like an 18-year-old kid, looked like uh, Mike Shinoda wow. from Lincoln, Lincoln Park. Park. Yeah. I always thought he did, but I never really thought too much about it. So uh, manager eventually said, listen, you got to, he wanted, because I would sing a little bit mm -hmm. and then James would rap. And the manager said, this, "It's very hard to market what the fuck you guys are doing. You got to pick one or the other. You got to either you got to you got to take over 100 percent of the vocal duties, or you got to make it 100 percent rap. You uh -huh. can't do both." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, really? Go well, fuck that. So he leaves. We told I told the manager, "We're still going to do this." I'm yeah. like, "Well, this is what we're doing, and no one's going to." They're like, "You got to write shorter songs. Uh -huh. You can't write hip hop and odd meter. You can't uh -huh. do odd meter hip hop." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, "Yes, we can. We're yeah. doing it." Uh -huh. You know. Um, Odd meter like uh, Alice in Chains odd meter, you yeah, know, like in threes and shit, mm -hmm. and fives, yeah. and um, we did it, and uh, uh, he leaves, manager leaves, and then uh, keyboardist leaves, and then the other guitar player leaves, and then we're like down to like a couple guys, like the drummer and the bass player and me and James, and then like for a goof we just say, you know what, let's make fucking commercial versions of our songs just to fucking yeah for a goof yeah, yeah so we went through like five songs and did like three minute versions of them yeah and just like like it was like funny and goofy to us but when we were done we're like fuck this is what we're supposed to be doing what the fuck <laughs> yeah and um that's when james got cancer oh yeah yeah first the drummer left though before uh -huh. that the drummer left we did a gig in bakersfield drummer left so we used his as live drums his live drums that we had recorded yeah we fucking played him and played over <laughs> wow yeah so it wasn't like we played over like a drum machine yeah yeah we played over his real drums wow that were just recorded yeah yeah and uh and then oh oh and then my bass player who's my cousin he ended up leaving he was like dude it's just us three we don't have a drummer so he's gone so me and james were like back to just me and him again mm -hmm. so that's when we thought okay you know what the fuck are we doing? Let's mm. just make simple ass shit. Why are we trying to make people sit through all this shit? 17 parts. <laughs> so I, I began to realize that, yeah. fuck, mm -hmm. our manager was right. Yeah, yeah. So right when we decided, let's just, just gonna be, make it real simple. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. And he gets cancer. Oh my God. And then that was the end of that. Yeah. And He quit. Uh, he couldn't do it no more. Yeah. Like he survived the cancer, but he just couldn't do it. And uh, then that's when I started smoking weed, started making music with chicks, acoustic. Uh -huh. I didn't ever, I didn't pick up my my electric guitar for a few years. I had like cobwebs all over, and I would, all I wanted to do was play acoustic yeah. and synth, just yeah. like The Cure, just yeah. acoustic, acoustic and synth, and um, like Sarah McLaughlin and shit. Uh -huh. And then uh, what ended up happening in two thousand, um, I'm coming home from the strip club. And it's late. It's like 2.45. And K-Rock is on. K-Rock goes, there's this new band coming out. They're called Hybrid Theory. Check this out. This is one step closer. Yeah. And then th that was Lincoln Park. Yeah. So 
I heard that shit, and this was 2000. Metal was dead as fuck, uh-huh. and that song is super metal. Uh-huh. And that song doesn't have any hip hop. It yeah. doesn't have any rap. It's all just a metal song. I remember going, "They can't do this. They can't do this. <laughs> they can't do this." And it's a short song too. It's like yeah. two minutes and fifty-two seconds or something. Yeah. Short song. And I'm like, by the t- second verse, I'm like, "They can't do this." And then the second <laughs> chorus, "You can't do this right now." And then by the end of the song, goes, oh, yeah, "I'm about to break." Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, everything you say to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, holy shit, yeah. I gotta get this album. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my. So I'm looking for hybrid theory everywhere and there was no hybrid theory and I went to Tower Records on Sunset where I always got my records. Yeah. I guess an amoeba now. And usually when I get a record or a CD at Tower Records, grab it, put it in my car and I drive down Sunset back towards home, towards Gardner, towards like Guitar Center. Mm-hmm. And I'm... If by the time I get to Fairfax, I don't hear shit because I'll just keep skipping a song. I'll turn around, make a U-turn, say I got the wrong album. I need to, re- <laughs> I need to return, return it. this motherfucker. Yeah. But not with that one. Yeah. That was a- I get to Tower Records and go, dude, there's a band called Lincoln Park. They had to change their name. They used to be hybrid. I go, that's the band. Yeah. So I got it, got the album. And the first song is Paper Cut. Uh-huh. That's the first song. And I'll never forget the impact it had on me. Wow. Turned on my car, put the CD. As I'm backing out of my parking space, the song was killing me. And I didn't even know it was hip-hop yet. Yeah. And to me, it was just a metal band. And then I turned up, and as soon as I made a left on, on Sunset, I'm like, oh my God, it's hip-hop. And I'm listening to this, and the craziest thing, we had a song called Like a Horror Flick, and the chorus was... um. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a horror flick. What? It's like a, so paper cut. That's the chorus. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like, uh, I'm like, what? I go, oh my God, this is what they said couldn't be done. Yeah. So I'm like, look, it sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> I go, this is the way I, that I needed to do it. Just like this nice and simple, yeah. heavy. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, that's just like, it's just like a horror flick. I thought it was kind of weird. So. But I called all my friends, Joe Rogan, Bud Brutzman, producers. Uh-huh. I go, listen, there's a band called Lincoln Park right now. Uh-huh. And you need it because the whole album's off. I went through the whole album like, oh, my God, song after song. It's all good. Uh-huh. And I called them all. I go, dude, they're going to sell a million records for sure. This yeah. band. They're like, who is it? I go, dude, trust me. Get this CD. And they all did. And they were all driving around <laughs> cranking it. Everybody was driving around cranking it. made the career. Yeah. And it blew the fuck up. And I just wanted to prove to people yeah. that... I could predict shit. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? so yeah. I go, trust me on this one. Yeah. They ended up selling like 15 million or something like that. Yeah. And uh, um, and then I decided, you know what? I got to do the, I gotta do this the hip hop thing that I was doing back in 91, back when Linkin Park were like kids. Yeah. Um, I got I to gotta do this shit right. Uh-huh. So then I, I that's when I, I formed Smoke, Smoke Serpent and, right. s- and started making music uh, ever since. Yeah. Uh, um, but the, this is the crazy thing. <laughs> Is the crazy thing? I always thought Lincoln Park was from Phoenix, so yeah. I never, I never really um, looked into anything at all. Yeah. But the weird thing is, turns out Chester was the only one from Phoenix. Okay. And the rest of the band was from the Valley. Yeah. That's where I'm. The Valley in L.A. Yeah. On the other side of the hill. Yeah. That's where the strip club was, where I met the manager. Yeah. That's where the band, that band Frontside, was from. In the in uh, yeah. in the valley, and I always thought I go, dude. I always thought that guy looked like Mike Shinoda. So, but I never. I'm like, what are the odds? It's no yeah. way, no way. It's no way. Mike Shinoda is that dude from Frontside that played in the Rage Against the Machine band. No way. 
It's it's impossible. So um, I'm watching the guitar sessions. It's uh, they're interviewing Mike Shinoda. Yeah, and the interview goes, okay, take us back to mid '90s. Take us back to the mid '90s, San no Fernando Valley. Way. What were you doing? And I'm like. <laughs> Could that be the dude in front sign, you know, who was making fun of us and then ended up like, it's like, a, like, what? No oh, way. No. no way. No way. No way. It can't be. So then I get online like right away. I'm like, let me, let me find out. Let me find out what bands he was in when he was a, when, in the early 90s. Um, and all that's online is late 90s when he was in a band called Nero. Uh-huh. That's, it doesn't go further beyond that. He'd say like, yeah, I was in other bands and yeah. I was in this band, but he doesn't really go into detail about, so it's, it's probably not him. Oh, I hope no, it is. It's probably not him. And I hope he him. ripped off. No, he's <laughs> it's probably not him, but it is, it, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy that, that, uh, Paper Cuts chorus was just like my chorus. Wow. And, uh, He's from San Fernando Valley in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. There was no other hip hop bands out there. It was just black and I think it was him, dude. front line. I think it was him and I think he ripped off your band. No, no, it's impossible. <laughs> so so when I so once once I this was like two years ago when I saw that guitar what? sessions interview, two or three years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, so I'm like online trying to go could he be in front line? And I even asked Danny, because Danny knows a, Danny knows him. Our friend Danny Loner, by yeah. the way. Yeah. yeah, Danny knows. He used to yeah. be a nine. So I was like, oh, dude, just ask him if he was ever in a band called Frontside. <laughs> just ask him. He probably wasn't. But I just fucking need to know. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, he probably wasn't. But he, who knows? Uh, it would be fucking hysterical. I think he was. was. Him, if that was him. That would be fucking hysterical. But Danny hasn't asked him. He, he's, And I don't, I don't like to bug him. So yeah. then I remember my manager who managed both of us. He yeah. would know. Yeah. So, I found him on fucking Facebook. I found him, Patrick fucking Patterson. Patrick yeah. Patterson. Yeah. Found him. Man, fireman. Still a fireman. So, I sent him a message. I go, hey, dude, remember me? <laughs> remember Black and Kill Symphonies, the managers? Yeah. Never responded. And oh. then, I, then I sent him another message. No. I go, dude, maybe he doesn't check his messages. You know, some, some people never yeah. check their messages. Yeah. But, um... He probably never checked. I his need message. to find but out. But he never, he never responded. We need to figure out what if this is true. How weird would that? Yeah, that would be fucking crazy. It's gotta be, dude. No, it's no. gotta be. It, it can't be. It can't be. I search. I go front side. Mike Shinoda. Mike Shinoda. Front side. Not nothing. nothing. How did jujitsu figure into all this music stuff? I was doing jujitsu just to stay in shape, so, so I wouldn't be a fat rock star. So I, how did you get into it, though? Oh, well, I had to get in shape. I'm in Hollywood. I don't want to be a fat rock star. So I joined a gym. Mm-hmm. And I realized real quick, gyms are boring. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to do something else. And I, and I always uh, grew up, um, I, I grew up a big Bruce Lee fan. So I thought, you know what? Yeah. I always wanted to do martial arts as a kid, but I could never afford it. I, got, I can afford it now. So uh-huh. I got, there's no way I'm going to be able to stay in shape in a gym. It's so boring. But maybe martial arts mm-hmm. would be something that uh, can keep me in shape and yeah. that I wouldn't get bored of. So I, um, I, I had it, you know, because of convenience and my my job schedule, mm-hmm. I was um, um, 
initially when I started martial arts, I wasn't at the strip club yet. Yeah. I was uh, managing a chain of check cashing stores in LA. Really? Yeah, so there was a karate school uh-huh. right by one of the check cashing stores. So I thought, okay, this is cool. So I started doing karate. Did that for about six months, or maybe a year. Uh-huh. And um, then I saw the UFC yeah. in 1994. Mm-hmm. And then I just got obsessed with jiu-jitsu because, you know, in, in the first two UFCs, jiu-jitsu just whooped all the other martial arts' asses. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm doing the wrong martial arts. So <laughs> I looked for some jiu-jitsu, found jiu-jitsu in mm-hmm. the valley, mm-hmm. uh, the Machados, Jean-Jacques Machado, mm-hmm. and I've uh, been with them ever since. And, you know, I got into it just to stay in shape, but it was so much fun. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu is so much fun that I, um, you know, it's weird. You know, this is the last thing I expected to make money from and like I was, you, wasn't even trying to make money with it and then uh, it ends up being my life you know? were you just a natural at it like right away no no I wrestled a couple years in high school mm-hmm. and that helped a little bit but no it was uh, uh, I, I think the secret to my success is mm-hmm. a very personal one because um, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody mm-hmm. really I w- but what, the reason uh, my style got, you know, in the jiu-jitsu world popular, mm-hmm. it's because I was, uh, I didn't have good work ethic in the weight room. I never had good really? work ethic in like in strength and conditioning. So I always relied on trying to drag my opponent into uncharted territory. So I would have this style that that was unique that, to me and to nobody, uh, and no, no one really understood it mm-hmm. you know when we, we would first face each other so i would have an advantage because oh. i'd be doing some weird stuff like unpredictable try, yeah just trying to uh you know uh, trick people just yeah. a bunch of tricks you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. and i got by on tricking people because i didn't want to meet them you know head to head yeah with brute strength you know because i never had that I, ne- I was never like an athletic person i'm i run really slow i'm, I'm can't jump huh. i have zero explosion okay um I'm just not an athlete for real. So but you, so I had to use strategy more. Yeah, than, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's it's, so interesting. And and I guess it's interesting now because your your two passions, which I suppose are that and music, they're intersecting now in a, in an interesting way. It seems like. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I met Danny Loner uh, through because of. Uh, martial arts because he's really into the UFC mm-hmm. he heard that oh this guy he heard about me that you know that I, I, I produce music too so uh-huh. he hit me up on Twitter and said hey man I think we'd get along we should hang out oh that's cool and I'm like cool yeah and then um, you know he he engineers like uh, I would say 85% of all my stuff yeah and he, he's the best he I is mean, He's, he makes my stuff sound like a million dollars. Yeah. So he's very um, talented. And oh he, yeah. And he's still as passionate as I assume ever about music. Like I was saying about how a lot of musicians, when they become professional musicians, they kind of lose their passion for it. Danny's very passionate. He's still looking for new stuff all the time. Yeah. He's, he's really open minded too. Um, open minded and just he's so good at carving out sounds and mm-hmm. uh, making everything uh, I suck at that kind of stuff like the EQing mi- mixing and, and mixing yep. and uh, I, I'm horrible I always did it 
for the bands I was in, but I, I mm-hmm. not, not like something that I was good at. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that I engineered was garbage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, technically. I, I just, it's hard to keep up with the latest shit. Mm-hmm. He just knows so much about per- music production that I can never get there. And we work great together. Mm-hmm. He trusts me, I trust him. Mm-hmm. We bounce stuff back and forth off each other all the time. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the trust we have for one another, we both know that uh, the best possible way to make music is to uh, not worry about who wrote what yeah, or yeah. who came up with what. Yeah, yeah. You're just looking for the best shit. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when you're working with someone like that, you really, you know, he knows I'm just looking for the best shit. I'm not looking to be the guy that takes credit for everything, mm-hmm. I, you know. I remix a bunch of shit. How could you take credit for that? You're yeah. remixing other people's shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm already on board with, let's just work together and and let's figure out what the best possible uh, part is, the best possible decision for a part. Mm-hmm. We're just looking for, for the best music, you know, yeah, regardless yeah. of who came up with what. No ego involved in it. That's exactly. the best. Exactly. That's super important. Of course. It's very hard to collaborate with people because, you know, some people, they just, uh, they want to make sure everything, they wrote everything and, you know, they don't want to give any credit and they're, they're like, Mary, if, if you say, if you tell them, dude, I'm not sure how I feel about that part. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling it. They could get butt hurt. And yeah. Like depressed. You know, not, not me and, not me and Danny. That's great. Not me and Danny. Like if I, if he comes up with a part, I'm like. I'll, I'll, I said, I'll say, dude, I'm, I've been trying to roll with it for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right part. He'll mm-hmm. just boom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Chuck it um, out. And, and if I'm like on the fence about stuff, like I'm not sure about something, mm-hmm. I'll just let him make the decision. I'm yeah, like, dude, I don't know about this part. It's on you because mm-hmm. I don't, I'm confused with this one. Yeah. It's, it's all you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to make a decision based on, uh, I came up with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you got something, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd ultimately... I think the best way for me to work would be if I had like unlimited money for production. Mm-hmm. I know people. I would if I, I would. I would. It all starts off with the music for me. It's got to be the music. You, lyrics could come first mm-hmm. for sure, but you write the lyrics and you have them there. But the music is going to tell you which lyrics to you. Yeah. you know what I mean. You can yeah. try. So for me, I think the best way to work would be come up with the best possible music for a song mm-hmm. and then I would have three or four different people write vocal melodies over and just riff it riff over it, and then I would go in there and pick them out that's and what Max Martin does boom. Max Martin the, he's like the most successful songwriter ever that's what Whoa. he does he has teams he's a yeah. Swedish dude and he wrote all those Backstreet Boys Spice Girls Ace of Bass uh all, all the pop hits. He has more hits than Elvis and the Beatles. And what does he do specifically in the process? He has, he'll, he'll write, he's very formulaic, but his stuff is actually very technical in a weird way with like chord, like key changes and things like that. Yeah. But he'll, he'll write a lot of instrumentals and then if an artist comes in, because that's the singer I work with, Carly Rae Jepsen, she worked with him. Mm-hmm. She'll go there and then they'll pick an instrumental together and then the teams will start f- putting together the song with her. Yeah. Like he may not even be there. Yeah. A lot of big producers are like that. Yeah. Like I have a friend who uh, his band hired Rick Rubin. They didn't even meet him. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of disappointing sometimes. Huh. Yeah. It's crazy. How, how did that work? Uh, he has a team. He was working with System of a Down at the time. Mm-hmm. My friend was in a band called Hot Hot Heat. Mm-hmm. And 
they didn't even end up meeting him. So they ended up not working with him anymore. And they worked hmm. with this guy who produced Weezer instead, which makes more sense for them anyway. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's how it worked too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vocal melodies. I mean, it's, it's easy mm-hmm. to write a vocal melody. That's mm-hmm. easy. You hear a song, you just, any, any uh, singer can just riff over anything. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's good. Mm-hmm. And there's a million ways you could do that. Yeah. So don't be all satisfied with something that, because you sang over it. Yeah. You know, you got to sing over it and it has to hit something, you mm-hmm. know. For me, for me, uh, it's really easy to write vocal melodies. It's, it's mm-hmm. anybody could do it. Yeah. It's the great it's the the best possible vocal melody. You got to be able to pick that one out which yeah. one it is. You took a piece of music and you gave it to 50 different singers, they would all have 50 completely different songs. Mm-hmm. It would be com- nobody would have the same song even yeah. though the music's all the same. And then you got to go in there and you you got to uh, my Talent is I'm I'm pretty good at deciding what the best vocal melody is okay. that I have available. That's that's where my talent comes in. It's a producer like, skill. Yeah, yeah. Like like I, I I can put together the vocal melodies. I could put that line. Boom. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with my my rappers, mm-hmm. they'll they'll hit a whole verse and I'll take little pieces of it mm-hmm. and then I'll create a bridge off what they've already oh, done cool. and fly it around it's like a new chorus or something. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Um, I I feel like uh, that's where my strengths are. Mm-hmm. So I would take a piece of music and just uh, give it to 10 different people and just say, just fuck around with it. <laughs> yeah. And then I would just drive around yeah. for about a month yeah. and just listen to everything and just pick out the, the best stuff. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But I can't do that now, so. You know, <laughs> right now, we're stuck with uh, whatever vocalist is going to be on the track. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, and, and every now and then, I'll come up with a good vocal melody. But, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, like, a, like a legit singer or anything. I, I have like a little frequency, a little, little spot. Like where range. If it, yeah, a little range where mm-hmm. I could uh, fit into. But um, I can come up with vocal melodies uh a lot better than I could sing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like a bunch of, I've, I've made music with amazing singers, female yeah. singers, amazing singers yeah. that were f- fucking like Sarah McLaughlin level, can play oh. piano, can sing, and I could have them, I could sing to them like a shitty version of like a chorus, and then they, and then when they do it, and uh-huh. it sounds amazing, I'm like, oh, that's it. I just exactly. heard your song you did with our friend Hannah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. Well, the stuff, the stuff um, I did, the, we did two songs with Hannah, which is Danny's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Amazing singer. She's, yeah. she's high, high level, high level. Uh, the f- first two songs we did were covers. Mm-hmm. We, so that was easy. The, the vocal melodies were already done. We just had to figure out um, which harmonies we're going to use. And we kind of did it a lot different than the original, but the mm-hmm. actual, key, the, the vocal melody was the same. Yep. But uh, there's one song that we're working on. Uh, it, it's been working on for a while, kind of in the back burner right now. That was an original song that I wrote. That uh, um, we really got to finish that one though. But yeah, yeah, Hannah's amazing. She's Hannah great, Vandermolen. She's got some really cool projects yeah. coming out. Actually, yeah, she's yeah. awesome. All right, Eddie Bravo. Thank you, man. Well, thank you for having me, man. Thank this you so fun. much, dude. We've been friends for a while now. Yeah. I was on your show a few times. I'm glad you came on mine. Yeah, cool, man. What, what's uh, This is going to come out next week. What kind of Smoke Serpent stuff you got coming out or your solo stuff? Well, um, we got uh, uh, the remix of the Shakewell song, Leg Lock. Right. That's coming out. That's going to be uh, going to cut a cool uh, movie video to it as well. Uh, and we also have an original Shakewell song that. Oh um, yeah, yeah. There's an original. We're doing the remix, and there's an original. Shakewell's this crazy rapper that 
Danny just showed me that yeah. I guess you've known for a bit. He's awesome. Yeah, Shake he's hilarious. Awesome. Go check out the the original version of Leg Lock. It's on YouTube. Shake Will Leg Lock, and he's he also has a song called uh, Pemex. P e m e x, featuring uh, Fat Nick, which is his buddy. <laughs> Amazing video. Those two videos are, are are off the charts. Awesome. No, nobody. Uh, Rick Rubin like sent it to all his. Uh, Whoa, really? His, his uh, people, you know, and his wow. teams and stuff. Uh, that's how. That's. I mean, he's independent, not signed. Yeah. His videos have like six million views Good on for him. him. Man. It's pretty crazy. And then, uh, as far as Smoke Serpent goes, you just dropped a song not too long ago called. Um, they're all gone uh-huh. by Smoke Serpent. Yeah, there's a music video to it on YouTube. It's free. Uh-huh. You can go on SoundCloud.com/slash Eddie-Bravo uh-huh. and you can get all my music for free. There's a bunch of Smoke Serpent stuff. And Hook Thieves is uh, my uh, side band. Hook Thieves is music I make that's not in Smoke Serpent. Right. Okay. <laughs> so the Hook Thieves is uh, like uh, various artists. Like okay. uh, Hook Thieves song might have Hannah Vandermolen as a vocalist. Uh-huh. Hook Thieves might have Uncle Sam as a rapper. Mm-hmm. Hook Thieves might have like a DMX remix that I did. So yeah. Hook Thieves is stuff I do that's not Smoke Serpent. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, dude. And that's it, dude. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Eddie Bravo for coming on and talking about music and making music and his passion for music and his his past in music and his future in music. It was such a good episode. And thank you for listening. And uh, that's it for the LA editions, man. I'm back in Vancouver next week. Fake Shark has a new remix coming out for Little Lies, beginning of May. And uh, that's it. Thank you for listening. I'll check with, check in with you soon. And uh, make good choices. Okay, bye.